FX Medicine Live is proud to be part of the Naturepreneur Experience to be held from the 14th to the 16th of February, 2020. NatX 2020 is the annual business and personal development event by practitioners for practitioners, whether you're a student, startup, or established professional. For more information, click on events under the community tab at fxmedicine.com.au. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining us on the line today is Grace Miano. She's a nutritionist, womb and fertility massage therapist, certified infant massage instructor, and trained doula. Having experienced fertility issues and three miscarriages herself, she now works with women who wish to heal after miscarriage, to become and stay pregnant, and prepare for birth and new mother and babyhood. When she couldn't find it for herself and going through her own miscarriage and pregnancy journey, Grace created a professional album of guided meditations for miscarriage, trying to conceive and pregnancy after loss, which has provided support to women around the world. Grace has developed an online support program, Healing with Grace, Pregnancy After Loss, and through her speaking engagements, speaks openly in an effort to smash the taboo and isolation of pregnancy and baby loss. You can find out more about Grace at goodnessgraciousheath.com. Welcome to FX Medicine, Grace. How are you going? Hi, Andrew. Thank you. I'm good, thanks. Now, Grace, I've read out a little bit about your story, but can you take us through a little bit more about your story and how you got into this work? Yeah, sure. Um, it was never my intention, I think, as I've discussed with you back at Nardex. Um, When I graduated as a nutritionist, I had an interest in um, pregnancy and fertility a little bit because around that time we were, my partner and I were thinking of starting our own family. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until we started to really experience our own difficulties through that journey that I found where I really needed to hone in on. And the reason for that was because, one, we hit a few stumbling blocks being easily pregnant. And then secondly, when we did achieve pregnancy uh, several times, we miscarried. So uh, that opened up a little bit of a world for me that I hadn't anticipated. And um, obviously, when you have your own personal experiences, you become interested in those. Mm. And being a practitioner myself, um, you know, researching, you know, what what would be appropriate for me to do around all of that, um, where to seek support. So there were a few things. One, we hit on the fertility issue around not achieving pregnancy as quickly as some other people mm-hmm. appear, appeared to. You know, those stories you hear about, oh, well, we thought it would take a year or two, and then on the first try. <laughs> um, so that wasn't us. Um, after about 12 months of us 
trying to achieve a pregnancy, I went and uh, had some surgery. I had a laparoscope. And we found out um, our first piece of information that I had endometriosis. So that's another little factor in all of this as well. And um, so once we had that um, laparoscopic surgery and, you know, that clears out a bit of inflammation and, and clears tubes out and things like that, nothing else was an issue. Uh, we achieved a pregnancy immediately, um, which we thought might be the case. And so, of course, that's really exciting. And um, about eight weeks into that is when, um, unfortunately, we lost that pregnancy. And uh, I hadn't had any scans or anything yet up until that point. We were just sort of coasting along. So we don't know actually what the issue was or what went wrong hmm. um, at that point. And that I see it as a fortunate thing that, uh, you know, luckily I was able to miscarry that one naturally at home without any intervention. I didn't require DNC at that time. Um, it didn't require medications or other uh, monitoring. Everything was fine. Um, I had a bit of a interesting experience dealing with the medical system with that one because I didn't know any better and I hadn't experienced anything like this before. I, when I, my first clue that something might be going wrong was a bit of bleeding. So I went to a GP and he sent me to the emergency department of a hospital. And there I encountered some interesting reactions um, from, from medical staff and from, you know, nurses checking in and that sort of thing. And uh, that was my first experience of how uncomfortable people can be, even those in the medical system, with the idea of baby loss. Mm. Um, yeah, I encountered a bit of... Um, not so compassionate response from some. Mm. And I kind of think that was because at that time, because I didn't know exactly yet that this was a miscarriage. We were just sort of checking things out. I wasn't um, visibly hugely emotional. So perhaps they thought I was fine. Um, I, I wonder, I often wonder if I was in tears or visibly extremely upset at that moment, if they would have been a bit more compassionate. Yeah. But but who's to know? Yeah. So I, you know, and plus I've heard many many other people's stories where they don't get that compassion. But having said that, conversely, there are people out there who are, who are, um, you know, understanding and compassionate. And I have had other experiences since with um, with medical doctors and others who were wonderful. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that that was that one, and then lo and behold, we got pregnant again quite quickly, probably the next um, month or two. And um, and at eight weeks again, uh, we lost that one as well. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I, you know, I just thought, no way, not again. And at the exact same moment, right. um, at the same stage. And um, that one was a bit of a blur because I, I, it happened so quickly after the first one. And I hadn't actually written about it. I, I wrote a um, for my own um, people. <laughs> I wrote a blog post about the first one, so that sort of was in my mind a bit more. The second one coming so soon and being um, 
yeah, a bit of a blur there. Um, but again, uh, I, um, you know, we had a natural and complete miscarriage at home. Again, it was just, you know, when you have a miscarriage around that eight week mark and not knowing when the baby passed, it may have been weeks earlier, don't know. Um, miscarriage at that time can be similar to just a very heavy bleed. Um, it's not, um, I'll tell you a little bit more about my third miscarriage. That was a bit different, mm. but, um, you know, at that stage, just for people's information, it can be, it can feel just like a, a heavy period basically. So, um, with that one, I didn't bother going to the doctor or the hospital. I thought unless something goes wrong or I feel unwell, um, I think I can take care of this myself and let just let the process happen naturally. I did seek my um, Chinese medicine practitioner that I was seeing for a bit of acupuncture support uh, for bleeding, but other than that, everything sort of just progressed naturally. And, you know, I say that as a good thing. You know, one of the things that women say to me when they're, you know, having miscarriages and, and losses like this is that they feel that their body failed them or that they're broken. And my view is that if you are miscarrying, there's a reason for it, and your body is intelligent, and it's doing what it needs to do. And then if you're in the fortunate situation where your body can then um, cause the whole process to happen without intervention, um, then that's another fortunate thing and your body's doing what it needs to do. And that's, that's, that's the body being effective. I really see it that way. So I was, I mean, I wasn't happy, but I was glad at the time that those things could happen for me. So, um, that was two in a row, quite early miscarriages at eight weeks, a bit discouraging. And the thing is that once you become pregnant again, after a loss, as, as, um, I often mention is that there's that extra level of concern now because you know what can happen and that it's happened to you already. Yeah, so you've already got the underlying uh, that underlying anxiety. Yes, and and you start to and especially when it happens more than once, you start to think, well, is this just always going to be the case for us? Yeah, yeah. You know, and and I have met women who have had um, many, many, many miscarriages. So you can just imagine after three, five, ten, twenty plus, how how what kind of courage you have to have or um belief to keep trying and hope that that's going to happen for you, that next time it'll this will be it. Yes, you've just got to be persistent. Yeah. You, you know one thing that really um I admire about you is that all through this you're using we we and us, not I or me. Uh -huh. So there's this, too often women blame themselves for what's happening rather than a it just being a process. Indeed, sometimes it can actually be a, um, an, a much needed process for a, a, a fetus that's gone wrong, a genome that's gone wrong, if you like, um, mm -hmm. called teratosthesia. Um, and sometimes it can be the, an issue with the sperm. So we have this assumption that because it's happening in the woman's body, that it is only due to the woman. It's not 
and women need to stop blaming themselves when it's a process. And I'm so glad that you take that stance. So did you always have that stance or did you change your vernacular um, once you basically recovered? That's an interesting question. I wonder where, I'm not sure where along the line I started saying we or if I, if I was a, a we person right from the <laughs> beginning. Um, I think maybe, I think I always had that view. And perhaps that's because back in the, you know, trying to conceive getting support with fertility stage, I was seeking support from other practitioners. Right. And so I had advanced my knowledge to a point where I understood that it's just not, it's not just the woman, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, the male, if it's a male partner that you're with, that you're doing this with, um, contributes 50% of the DNA. So miscarriage, you know, half the time can be the reason that's the reason for it is, is through the sperm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yes. And I really do try and push that with other people because women do blame themselves so terribly. And, um, it's not, it's not all just about the woman. Let's talk a little bit about um, DNC, like dilatation and curettage. So normally it's like, I forgive me, I don't know if it is standard for every miscarriage or if it's only standard after a certain time of carriage. My experience is, well, I haven't had one, but my experience of many others is that you, it's usually done. And, um, if it's, uh, what they call a missed miscarriage, hmm. which I really don't like this term, but if they find that they've had perhaps an ultrasound and they find that the baby is measuring much smaller than whatever week's gestation they're meant to be up to, that it's been missed in quotes. And so that they've got this, you know, dead fetus inside of them for how many weeks that oh. they then tend to say, well, you know, it's been however long, we need to remove this now. Right. That, yeah. So my experience is that that's often when they suggest it um, more consistently. Um, but it seems to be actually most people, most women I know of have a DNC for this. Yeah. And again, it's, it's their choice as well. I, I mean, some people, some women are, some couples, I should say, are given choices where they can have the DNC, they can take medication, or they can go home and see if things progress naturally. And for some people, they, they need, they choose to have the DNC so that they can, they feel that they want to move this process along so that they can start to move forward. It's an emotional, you know, it's, it's emotionally what they want to do. So there's different reasons for it, but I, I do find that it's often, it seems to happen rather often. Yeah, rather often. Uh, my wife, when she went through our miscarriages, um, I'm going to change that vernacular from now on. Thank you. Um, <laughs> she was never offered an option of not having a DNC, um, mm -hmm. dilatation and curettage. So admittedly, our pregnancies um, were further along. Um, you know, between the eight and 12 weeks. It, it's a really interesting one though. Um, I was reading some stuff from the Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne and there they offer the option of naturally passing the pregnancy tissue. And if signs arise maybe of infection, then 
they'll go in for a DNC. But it's an interesting thing that this is a natural process that, that happens very, very, very commonly. Um, and yet it's very medicalized, i.e. not offered yeah. an option. I think that's an interesting yeah. thing. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and, uh, and well, e forgive me, sorry. And even the yeah. process of having a DNC for the woman is traumatic in itself. Oh, definitely. You're going in for this medical surgery, you're put under. Um, and often the outcome of that is that you don't see the fetus. Yeah. And so there's also that, you know, and sometimes it's totally necessary, like what you were mentioning, if there starts to become signs of infection and it needs to be removed. But um, not not laying eyes on that little fetus can be um, another component that adds a little bit of trauma or grief to the whole situation. Without closure. Yes. yes. How interesting. I've never thought about that before. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, well, I had a third miscarriage that was further along, and um, about a year after those first two, and I could have again for a third time gone and chosen to do a DNC, but having experienced two natural, naturally occurring miscarriages myself, I decided that we would see how we went with that. And I, um, this is really interesting, Andrew, and some, some, maybe something that people may not have ever thought of. Um, so we were 12 weeks, but I had, I did go in for an ultrasound to check things out because there was a bit of bleeding. And we found out that the baby had um, passed at around nine-ish weeks. Right. But at that time, it was, still far enough along to the point where I experienced a, what I call a little mini labor and birth. Oh, even okay. at that stage. Right. Yeah. Yes. So Cuz I know you can have cramping and things like that, but you're talking yeah. about a labor rather than Well, uh, just I call an expulsion. It that because yes, it was it was cramping, but it didn't occur to me like I was having these sort of regular cramps and um and then I realized these are contractions. Now, obviously, not to the scale that it would be required for a full-term no. baby. No. Because this was just a little fetus. But um, but they were rhythmical. They were, yeah. you know, ascending and descending sort of thing. Yes. Rather than just like a cramp. Yes. I, I think it was a little more than that. Right. A little bit more than just like a, a little bit of period pain. Um. And, um, you know, I even went without going into the whole story, but um, we even had um, a breaking of the waters that happened spontaneously, a yeah. pop and a gush of waters. Yeah. You, like, these are just things you wouldn't think of at that early stage. Um, and then, um, you know, a little baby in placenta at home. Yeah. You know, as a, as, as a practitioner, the practitioner side of my brain found this absolutely fascinating. Um, although, you know, the person side of me was going through a, a grief process, but that, that is something to bear in mind also, um, that even at, at an early stage like that, and I don't know, um, you know, it, it'll be different for everyone. And especially if you have to go in and have a procedure in the hospital, you know, the DNC and that sort of thing, it'll be different. But, um, that, that occurred for us. 
and that was just a little bit further along. So really, um, really interesting. And at that time we were able to lay eyes on, and I don't know if this is too much information, um, (laughs) Andrew, but, um, I don't think so. Well, uh, look, we experienced the same thing, Grace. Um, Yes. Yeah, uh, we experienced the Lee passed the the whole fetus um, early that it was. So, and I've got to say, like I had a different feeling from Lee. I actually thought, "Phew, Lee's body has passed something that just wasn't right. It wasn't ready. It yeah. wasn't complete. Something was wrong." And indeed, it was tested, and something was wrong. Um, yeah. So for me, I had this. I had an acceptance that nature did its job successfully. Lee, obviously right. carrying that baby, carrying that fetus, obviously had a much closer relationship with it. And so Lee obviously went through the grieving process. Lee was devastated. Um, so it was it, for me, it was very interesting. This, it wasn't a dichotomy. We're still close and together about it, but just the difference yeah. in feelings. Yes. And I think that's um, an interesting point of view and a good one to have if you can get there. And the other thing is to perhaps, I don't know, did Lee come to that conclusion herself at some point later on? It's, um, it's, it's the different stages that the two, that the, the two in the couple go through at different times that don't often match up. <laughs> what I'd like to know, though, is what can we do? What do you teach people about how to support a client going through this experience? How do you get on their level when... For the most part, the practitioner is not going to be pregnant. And certainly there are going to be those males out there that are dealing with a female client. How do we be compassionate and empathetic um, and really get on their level about what's going on with them? Well, what, I feel like I say this a lot um, all the time, but I, it's important to continue to say. And it, and I think it's actually really simple. You know, we we encounter people who have experienced a loss like this or other kinds of losses. Mm. And, um, and it creates, it can create a bit of discomfort in us, especially if we haven't had that experience ourselves. And so we, you know, it's our human nature to try and help and fix and cheer up. And, um, and the, the one thing that I, you know, I just always advise is, is to keep it really simple and you don't need to do those things. And in fact, by doing those things, you are dismissing their pain. Yeah. So what can you do? Tell them you're sorry. Tell, just allow them to talk about it. Just hold space for them and be in their presence. If you have a client sitting there crying in the chair opposite you, let them. Um, you know, my, my term that I use is don't try to silver lining it for them. Um, oh, I, I, and this is all very well intentioned, but I could tell you, Andrew, the some of the comments that were said to me of beautiful friends and people who had, as I said, good intentions, but things like, well, at least you know you can get pregnant, you can try again, um, you know, those sorts of things. Or for other people, they've been told, well, you already have a beautiful daughter, so don't worry. Yeah. So and don't don't worry. I love that. I know. You know. Or you can. Or the cracker. I know how you're feeling. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I've even heard of people comparing it to, you know, well, uh, my, you know, a pet, my pet died, so I understand how you feel. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and it's just everyone, it's just us, you know, being humans trying to relate. <laughs> yeah. And I understand that. But, um, but if you, once you know, the, the more you know, the better you know, the less, the, the less you can, you know, do those sorts of things and say those sorts of things that just are not helpful. So not trying to silver lining it or give them solutions or next time do this um, is a good place to start. And just holding them that space. And if they want to talk, let them talk. And But it's really just about listening and allowing them. You know, I had a, I had a nice experience where I went into an acupuncture session. And, you know, she just let me be. And then um, uh, just allowed, you know, tears or whatever needed to happen. And she didn't really say much of anything. And that's a good, that's a positive experience. Obviously, I remember that um, as a as a positive experience for me, whereas I then can compare that to perhaps dealing with someone else who just tried to, you know, cheer me up mm. with, with, a, with a comment that they thought might be helpful, which was not helpful. Because the, the, the one, the, the one that is often said is at least, you know, you can get pregnant. My, my brain immediately goes to, and I know this is the same for other, other people as well is, yeah, I can get pregnant, but can I stay pregnant? Yeah. So not helpful. <laughs> No, that's right. No. I, th I think it also has a lot to do with how comfortable we each are with death, whether it be yeah. our own mortality, which eventually we are going to be faced with, um, or indeed the process and the experience and the exposure that we might have had to the death of others, of significant others. Um, I, I really think we need to check ourselves as part of this um, to be able to help others. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I think it's really interesting what other cultures do um, and how they accept death as part of, mm. you know, the, the, the process of life, at the end of process of life. And, you know, what, what we don't do, we like to get a, a, you know, take it away, whereas other uh, cultures really quite embrace that. Indeed, some look after their, you know, ancestors and, and they sort of tend them, if you like. Yes. And yes, our, our experience and knowledge and feeling towards death is one of great discomfort, isn't it? Yeah. And especially if you apply that to baby death, however far along the pregnancy that is, that's an, another level. <laughs> that's another level. Yeah. So, okay. So jumping from the emotional to the clinical, what sort of clinical advice for healing after pregnancy loss can you give us? Well, I think the main thing is to treat it like the, well, the way I treat it. And I think um, my advice to others would be is, Going through the loss of a baby is, at whatever stage of the pregnancy that occurred, you have somehow, um, in some cases, literally birthed a baby, um, or in others, had that removed or passed through you somehow. And so this period immediately afterwards, I su my suggestion is to treat that like postpartum like you would with a postpartum, a new postpartum mother. Now, obviously, this mother does not have their baby with them anymore. Mm. But their body has still been through something. Yeah. Um, it's been through pregnancy, whether it was just for, you know, a couple of months or lo a lot longer. 
their body needs to heal and recover, not to mention equally, if not more so, the emotional, mental side of things. And so thinking about it like a postpartum period, I, I think helps um, a lot of people to sort of look at it from a different point of view. So what would you do for a, a client who is newly postpartum, if, if you happen to see one that came in quite soon after birth? Um, you would be providing them with nourishing, warming, easily digestible meal suggestions. And, um, you know, uh, offering whatever lifestyle suggestions that would be supportive for them. I think at this stage, if they are able to, I mean, everyone's different, but if they are able to put into place things that are going to be supportive at this time that remove stress and burden from them. So things like meal delivery, if they're fortunate enough to have friends who will drop off, you know, meals to them, uh, come by and maybe do a, a little bit of help in the house, those practical things. Yep. Um, those will be really helpful because they are healing in, in so many different ways. And in so at the many same different time ways. now, in so many different ways, you know, that physically, mm. emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Mm. Uh, and connection with friends, you know, true connection when they help. You know, oh, the, the act yeah. of physically helping you to do a chore, you know, while you're resting, that sort of thing is actually, you know, love. It's great. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I remember a friend of mine who happens to also be a practitioner just sent me a message and offered to bring me a smoothie. Hmm. Like those are, and I, obviously that's stuck in my mind because that is, those are the things that are um, really helpful at this time. And and the other thing too is uh, to suggest to your clients that if people want to help you, let them. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, oh, you know, this person, this friend offered to come and do a load of laundry or this person offered to come and un unpack my dishwasher. And I said, no, it's okay. Don't bother. And um, you've just refused yes. them. Yeah. <laughs> say yes. Yeah. Because, well, that comes back to also our feeling of we don't want to bother other people yeah. or inconvenience people. But if people want to help and they're offering this to you, then say yes. They're offering their connection to you. Maybe also the strength of the person um, offering their help has something to do with it as well. You know, mm. if they know what you're going through, know that you're feeling less of less worth because you might be grieving at that point. And just to push the point, just say, no, no, I'm coming over. That sort of, look, I'm, I'm coming over. If you really don't want, want me there, say so. But other than that, I'm coming over. Now, yeah. there's a fine line as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, <laughs> because what? you might not want the tangled not web want we, yeah. to see people. Yeah. You know, and there might be, there will be times, of course, where you're just not in a state where you want to have people coming over. But yeah. in general, um, learning to say yes to offers of support and then conversely learning to say no. You know, some people don't give themselves any grieving time and, um, or, you know, or time off or, you know, I've had um, people say to me, oh, well, I just need to keep my mind occupied. I don't want to think about it. But my view on that is, I mean, of course, you know, we, we do what we think we need to do to cope. 
But if you shove down the emotions and the grief that can come up with this, my experience with, with others is that it's going to come out somehow. And um, I, I give an example. One of my recent clients who is happily pregnant with twins now, um, you know, experienced a miscarriage and she just filled up every moment of her time, which you can understand, with work and doing other things. And so she didn't give herself, and that was immediate, she didn't give herself any grieving time or time to feel anything about it. And so what happened? When she went to bed at night, her body would wake her up at uh, consistently at 3 a.m. every night where she would be in an extreme state of anxiety and not be able to sleep again. See, I would say that that, that actually is grieving. It's just stuck in one of them, one of the five processes, the, the denial. Yep. So it's going to come out anyway. So allow allow yourself. You know, I mean, it's hard. You don't want to... Um, you know, it's difficult to deal with pain. And so if there are things we think we can do to avoid it, um, then we might want to do that. You know, I've noticed people who only take a day or two off work and then get right back into it. Yeah. But I, but I, yeah, but it, it can just, it, it's going to pop up anyway, just like that example. And so my, my um, advice to my clients is, let yourself have as much time as you need. Cancel everything. Take off however much time you need. If it means that you need to lie on the couch and cry for a week or more, then let it happen. If you need to take a one-hour bath every day, then do it. Mm. Um, and le so learning to say no, that, that's where I was going with that, the opposite of, of the yes to support, is learning to say no. You know, if you're being asked to do things that you just don't feel you are able to take on at, during this grieving time, then say no. I mean, women feel like they, this is notorious with women, where women are praised for putting others ahead of themselves yeah. and putting themselves last on the list of priority. And so feeling like you need to continue to do everything for everyone else, or if you're being asked to do, take on extra things at work or something like that. Um, Saying no, I think, is really important. Yeah. How how do you broach the the topic of the stages of grieving uh, of grieving, and as you say, when to say yes, when to say no? For for some people that may be stuck, they're they're in grief. They don't want to be told that there's a silver lining right now. Um, they they want to just be, as you say, they want to just be right now. And yet there's a thing to say, look, this is a normal part of grieving. And a lot of patients won't know that there are stages that we may go through. We don't all go through all of them, um, but it becomes destructive or disintegrative if somebody gets stuck in mm. a phase. How do you broach that topic? I, I directly do go into that with each client and I will ask them questions like how much time off work they've had, um, how are they feeling, how are they managing how they're feeling. Um, and I think the important point to bring with that is that I do assure them that it is um, however they are feeling, whether it's 
just numbness, whether it's sadness, whether they're angry, you know, mm. um, or disappointed or full on grief, whatever they are feeling is right. And there's no wrong way to be or to feel at this time. And then we just go through a bit of conversation around what's happening there. And when I, you know, come across those who say, oh, you know, I'm, it's, it's fine. Um, I'm just keeping myself busy. I don't want to think about it. I can't think about it. You know, we'll, we'll gently discuss how it's important to allow yourself to feel um, and let those emotions happen and letting others support you, whether that's friends and family with practical things or seeing, seeing your practitioners who can take care of you, whatever types of modalities those are, whether that's coming to see me, someone like a nutritionist or, um, or having a, you know, a massage yeah. or um, a, a counselor, whatever. What about uh, including the, the significant other, the couple, the male, the female, whatever, mm. you know, the, the partner? Yes. Yes. Um, we have a little bit of um, discussion, too, around how there can often be that mismatch, um, because this can be a time where one of you is feeling strong when the other is feeling not so strong. Yeah. Um, and then vice versa, you'll go through different periods. And understanding that that will happen, I think, is a good um, place to begin just right from the start, because I know that there, you know, I've, I've had people tell me, you know, I was really upset and my partner didn't seem to care. He seemed fine. Um, when that's not necessarily the case because they're perhaps being stoic or feeling that they need to be strong for her. Yeah. Um, which is often the case. And, um, well, even me with my personal experiences, um, we, there was at one point, I do remember that uh, I was very upset and my partner appeared to not be upset and I got really angry with him. <laughs> we had a little bit of a little bit of a blowout over that. And then I realized when he broke down that he was just trying to be strong. Right. You know, and, and that that's the burden placed on a male as well, isn't it? Where, you know, men don't cry and men have to be strong and you have to be strong for her. and I know that a lot of the male males in these couples even will have comments from friends and family and um, and practitioners where they will say things to them like, "Okay, well, you know, take care of her, yeah. be strong for her." Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, he's going through the same thing. Now it might be at different times, and it might be at a different level. Um, but males grieve too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Men grieve too. What about um, you've been through the grieving process? You've said goodbye to that fetus, that baby, whatever you, whatever term you attach to that. Mm -hmm. um, how then do you bravely approach trying to conceive again? And mm -hmm. indeed, once you are pregnant again, the anxieties of the previous pregnant of the previous pregnancy or pregnancies rear their head again. Yeah. That's really, that's a big one. And, um, and a lot of people go through really horrific 
anxiety and feelings of, I'd go as far as to say terror, Mm. um, at the prospect of either becoming pregnant again or being pregnant again. And, but I do, I do think there is a lot that can be done to help with that. I mean, you won't be able to alleviate that 100% necessarily, but things like, um, implementing anything at all that is going to provide you with some sort of calming to the mind, um, things like med- listening to meditations. I mean, we know how effective, you know, meditation and, um, mindfulness and those sorts of things can be. Um, but well, with my own clients and with myself, um, I recommend meditation highly, uh, or visualization. Visualization is actually a really great one. Um, it's, you know, being able to allow yourself because that's the other side of it too. You don't want to think too far ahead just in case it doesn't happen. Mm. Um, you know, or we experience more letdowns, um, but to allow yourself to relax and visualize, uh, depending on what stage you're at, you know, becoming pregnant again, um, this baby growing and thriving, you becoming pregnant and larger, you know, all the way through to, you know, birth and holding this baby in your arms. I personally think that can be really effective, um, and um, and I have had feedback that that's, those sorts of things have been very helpful for people. And my suggestion is, if you have to sit down and stop what you're doing and listen to a meditation several times in a day, if you're in a position to do that, mm-hmm. <laughs> then, you know, in a place that you can do that, then do it, um, because that will interrupt that spiraling thought pattern that you're getting into and sort of help reset, even if it's only for a few short moments. Yeah. The, the thinking. You know, I, I was thinking just before about, you know, what if that other, that subsequent pregnancy fails and you're back at square one. But mm-hmm. I, now I realize what you're saying is, well, you're already there. So yeah. <laughs> you're, all, you're already suffering anxiety. So even if you took away those stress impulses, those stress hormones flooding your body, even if you reduce those and it ends up, you know, that you have another miscarriage, then big deal. You've, you've experienced, you've at least taken the the stress hormones away from for a period of time. Um, so I I take that point. And even if it is, I, I guess part of it would be though, do you teach your patients that things can fail again in the future and that's okay? That's a really good point, actually. I guess when we go into it, um, our our language is language that doesn't ever guarantee. It's about providing hope, but of course, we can never know what's going to happen. Mm. Um, so from my point of view, the way I work with it is allow yourself to hope allow yourself to feel joy, like what you were bringing up there. Um, You know, we hold ourselves back because of just-in-case scenarios. But the thing is, you're going to feel grief or disappointment or sadness anyway. You Mm. may as well allow yourself to have some level of joy when when it can come in. Um, 
so, you know, let it happen. Don't hold back. So yes, it's, it's, but do you know, I, I don't think the point actually needs to be stressed because these clients already know that they may miscarry again. Right. And that's their fear. Yeah. So, um, I don't specifically go into that with them saying, you know, this may happen again. Um, I don't, I don't specifically do that. We just focus on what can we do to help this, knowing that sometimes there's nothing we can do. You know, if it's a chromosomal issue, there's absolutely nothing that yeah. we can, we can change, do yeah. Um, yeah. to change that. But um, it's about hope. It's allowing joy. It's while you are in that trying to conceive stage and or already pregnant to um, do whatever you can to, you know, like you said, reduce stress hormones to provide appropriate nourishment for yourself and the baby or the baby to come. Um, you know, if we get into the clinical side, taking, taking supplements that may be helpful, that sort of thing. But um, yeah, that's, that's the, point that I take. I, I guess it also gives you, at the end of this process, it gives you an opportunity to then talk to the couple and prepare for the next pregnancy in a more informed way mm. so that you can say, mm -hmm. look, you know, there, there are these sort of issues, you know, you, you work in a smelter, um, there may be sort of this sort of opportunity yeah. to then do testing on the male or, you know, if the female maybe is a pilot, then, you know, there may be risks associated with ultraviolet radiation, which we know affects females particularly. So, you know, you can then have this informed um, program moving forward about, well, look, this happened before. This is possibly what added to it. Now we can yep. intervene in some way, at least try and protect you during the next pregnancy. Do you find that is helpful for them? Yes. And at this stage, once, once they've experienced a loss, they want this. They absolutely want this, especially if it's been more than one loss. Um, so there's a whole load of testing that um, can be done. And, uh, you know, I may be referring them back to their GP who then refers them to a fertility specialist and goes through all the miscarriage screening stuff. Um, you know, we'll be doing um, our own um, testing with the male and female, both of them. And they are open to all of this at this time because they've already experienced that loss and they don't want to experience that again. And I, my experience is that people are so open and wanting and seeking whatever it is that they can do to either test to see what may have gone wrong or what could go wrong. Um, and what is it that I can do now to prevent this happening again? Yeah. And that's all that stuff. It'll be, you know, it'll be the, the diet and the lifestyle and the supplementation and all the emotional stuff. Um, but yes, they're absolutely, absolutely wanting it. Now, tell us a little bit also about the course. What sort of um, processes does it involve? And is it mainly directed to practitioners or to the grieving parents? The My, my Pregnancy After Loss yeah. online course, that one is for um, women specifically, right. women who are pregnant themselves following a loss. So this one's aimed at clients 
and we go through a four-week process where um, we look at, we start off with um, honoring the babies that have been lost, because sometimes they haven't had a chance to do that. You know, as you mentioned back earlier on in our conversation, Andrew, um, especially if you've had, you know, a medical procedure where the fetus was removed and you didn't see it. Mm. Um, and that, that loss of perhaps, you know, if you like to call it closure or connection or whatever you like to call it. Um, so being able to honor and remember your baby or babies, if you've, if there were more than one. And, um, we do that through discussing, you know, was there a ceremony that you did? I mean, some people have funerals if it's been much further along. Right. Um, others, um, you know, may perhaps have a little burial or others might just have a symbol that they keep in their home. Um, you know, for me, I had a few little symbols, objects and trinkets and things that were my connection to my three um, babies that are not with me. Mm. And um, that can allow, not only do I find that important to honor those babies, but also it allows these women to then, it frees them up to feel like they can connect with their current pregnancy, Yeah, which can be very, very difficult. Um, you know, I've, I know of people who are nearly to the end of their pregnancy and they're still not happy about it because they are thinking about the, the baby that's gone yeah. and it's just, it's just too, um, sad for them. And they're still worried, and oh, you sure. and it's, that's normal. Yeah, for sure. So, yes, we do that, um, and so we're um, connecting to previous babies, connecting to the current baby. So there's a lot of that sort of emotional stuff that has nothing to do with nutrition yeah. or anything to yeah. start off with. Um, and you know, and I'm no psychologist or anything like that, but it's just through my own research and experience that we that I can bring this to. Um, other women who can find this helpful as well. You know, I've, I created guided meditations because we needed something that was specific to the stages of loss that we were going through. Um, and we use those as well to sort of interrupt those um, spir spiraling thought patterns of anxiety. Mm. Mm. So, yes, we, we do that. And then we go through, um, of course, all of the nutritional and supplement um, suggestions and you know what's important to do there and, and what they might choose to do or not do um, all the lifestyle stuff we go through um, what to do around moments of anxiety you know foods for anxiety um, you know just everything around that as part of this I actually um, commissioned Amy at naturopathic yoga to create a specific pregnancy after loss yoga series for us. So that's part of my program as well. Right. And it, yes, which is fantastic. There's nothing like that around. So this is for us. It's not just prenatal yoga, but it's, it's uh, yoga for women who are, have experienced loss. So yeah. there's a, another element added to it. So that's part of the program as well. Um, and then we go through preparing as you head towards the end of the pregnancy, preparing for labor and birth, however that looks like for you. 
because that can be another time of extreme anxiety as you think ahead to what might go wrong, especially if your experience of loss was around this time, um, you know, with stillbirth or, or um, neonatal loss soon after birth. And um, so we go through all of that, um, how, to, how to create a supportive team around you and, and all that. So yeah. it's, the whole, it's the whole gamut from, from beginning to end um, of how to feel safer and more confident in this pregnancy and, re- and basically, well, mainly reducing um, stress and anxiety mm. around it, yeah. which can get, which could really escalate and get really extreme if you don't do something about it. That's right. So there's goodness gracious health. There's Amy Mingan yeah. at Naturopathic Yoga. What other resources can you give our listeners? Um, there is a great book out there by an American doctor named Laura Shaheen, and it's called Not Broken. And um, that one, it's a good, uh, a good read because it is, it's got all the clinical stuff in there with studies and things like that, but it's not a difficult read. Mm. So I, I think it's um, a, a good resource for practitioners um, and clients who are interested um, alike. And, um, you know, she's on social media and all that sort of thing. So Dr. Laura Shaheen, her book, Not Broken. Um, I'd like to say that um, my guided meditations are <laughs> uh, would be a really appropriate resource. Um, so these were created for, um, and it's broken right down into several tracks from finding out that your baby is gone through to going through the actual miscarriage through to trying to conceive again, being pregnant again. Um, I've got a track on there on if you're having a moment of extreme anxiety. Um, and I felt that was important to do because, well, personally I felt I needed something that would give me that I could listen to that had the right words to help me through this moment, this horrible moment, um, and was calming and relaxing, but specific. And I remember I was going through YouTube and everywhere that you can find meditations. And I couldn't find anything. Um, and so this was created. I do have one of them, um, the truck on going through miscarriage up on Insight Timer. And so that's freely accessible to everyone. Insight Timer. Yes. Insight Timer. That's the free meditation app. It's very popular worldwide. And um, I've got a track up there called Saying Goodbye, Going Through Miscarriage. And the um, responses I've received to that have been pretty uh, unbelievable. I would I would assume <laughs> that they'd be very powerful. You know what? I, like I'm so glad that you have offered something for especially women going through moments of anxiety because we all talk about prevention. We all talk about mm-hmm. long-term treatments, but we don't talk about moments. And this is the thing. Yes. It, it's like, how do you help somebody now? 
And this offers some succour to those people going through an extreme moment of anxiety and grief and hopefully gives some, them some hope to, to carry on and move forward to experiencing a successful pregnancy in the future. I've got to thank you so much. I just want to ask you, though, Insight Timer, yep. how, how do they then access your thing? Do they look you up in Insight Timer in the app? Yep, they can look me up by my name or they can search by the name of the um, meditation, which is saying goodbye, going through miscarriage. Um, the, I think the, the, name of the, the overall name of the whole thing is Healing with Grace. That's my, gotcha. that's my uh, overall tagline or yeah. whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Grace, I can't, I can't thank you enough for taking us through this. This is really important stuff. And, and you know, I've got to say, from, from your pain and your grief, you've come out to be so much more powerful and giving and sharing for you know so many other people so many other not just women but couples and I really thank you you know I I really hope that others get on board and look you up on goodness gracious health and indeed in that app to you know get some help in the moment but also give them joy and hope to move on in future pregnancies thanks so much for joining us on FX Medicine today. Thank you, Andrew. It's been my pleasure. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. The Gastrointestinal Clinical Strategies and Treatment Applications online course by the Karazian Institute is now available on demand. Learn from leading functional medicine expert, Dr. Datis Karazian, as he teaches you how to identify, assess and treat patients with autoimmune conditions. For more information and to book your ticket, click on events under the community tab at fxmedicine.com.au.